Welcome to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. Thanksgiving officially kicks off the 2021 holiday season, a time when many of us are focused on food. This week, we revisit conversations that offer a little perspective and personal reflection on how our beliefs influence the way we see food and how the rituals we create bring us together. We don't have a turkey on our table to celebrate Thanksgiving. It's going to be a classic kind of Indian meal. It's all vegetarian, probably minimal use of garlic and onion, because she does like to try to keep things Jane. That's Dr. Shikhar Shah describing how his family's religious beliefs inform their holiday menu to adhere to their Jane diet. It's vegetarian, and they follow a utilitarian philosophy. Now, this is a time when we're not only thinking about ourselves and nourishing our families. The holidays are often when many of us look for ways to ensure that our neighbors have enough to eat. This spirit doesn't need to be in churches or gurdwaras or temples. It needs to be on the streets where the need is. So we came up with the idea that to buy a food truck and just go to Skid Row, just go to homeless encampments and serve them where they are. That's Ravinder Singh from Los Angeles. He and his wife launched a new way of preparing and delivering free meals as a form of selfless service, or SEVA. That's a core principle in the Sikh faith. When I think of food and faith, I often think about restrictions and dietary boundaries. But to Lake Forest College professor Ben Zeller, there is much more to see. It doesn't necessarily have to do with dogmas or with catechisms. Rather, religion is practiced and it's done by people and it's how they're raised in their families and their communities. And when you look at food, it allows us to bring that into focus. In 2014, Zeller invited religious studies professors from around the country to share essays, exploring the meaning of food through that religious lens. The result is a fascinating anthology that looks at religion, food, and eating in North America. His interest in this area traces back to early in his career, just after graduate school, when he was asked to teach a comparative religion class. My department chair said, Ben, we have a comparative religion class I need you to teach. And I was always really hesitant of comparative religion because you end up comparing through one particular lens. I mean, so I, I remember someone used to teach a class on ideas of, of the soul. And that's such Christian language. So everything comes out sort of being compared against Christianity. So I tried to think, what is one thing that all religions have in common that I can use to compare, but that wouldn't make every other religion look like sort of a pale imitation of one of them? And I thought, well, everyone eats. So I structured my class around religion and food because that's a way in which I could really help students look at, at, at the world's broad religious traditions without necessarily enforcing a comparison uh, using some sort of a concept like soul or heaven or sin or something like that. So what did you learn and how did food really figure into that as you started to look into it closer? I think one of the important things we, we learn when we study religion and food or religion through the angle of food is we learn to recenter religiosity 
out of formal institutions and out of texts and out of the people who are famous and write books and into the everyday experiences and homes and on the street uh, of, of lived religion, which is sort of the way in which religion is lived out. And it doesn't necessarily have to do with dogmas or with catechisms or with you know the, these uh, statements of faith. Rather, religion is is practiced, and it's it's done by people, and it's how they're raised in their families and their communities. And when you look at food, it allows us to bring that into focus. Uh, food is, on the one hand, and eating is a highly individual act. For most of us, we can do it ourselves. But on the other hand, almost every culture values the idea of eating together. So the way in which religions uh, bring people together and often put food rituals at the center of that, whether those are feasts or fasts or food offerings. Uh, we see it across traditions. What can we learn about a religion by looking at its food traditions? Food is a great lens into understanding how a religion teaches and practices about the body in particular, because eating is an embodied act. It's something which you have to, by definition, Use your body, and in fact, you're putting something into your body. Uh, by looking at what a religion says about eating, you can get a lot about what it says about the, how it feels about the body. Uh, so, for example, a Christian tradition has tended to emphasize fasting practices because there's been an ambivalence about the body within Christian tradition. The body is seen not necessarily as a way to achieve spiritual closeness to the divine, but as an impediment, something to be controlled. Contrast that with, for example, neo-pagan Wiccan practices today, which tend to have a very body-positive approach and really don't emphasize fasting and much more emphasize feasting as a way to, to have a spiritual practice. But, you know, more broadly, the way in which food and eating helps define us in relationship to the, to the world around us, what we do and don't eat, with whom we do and don't eat. And if you look at their food practices, it helps show what does that religion say about the religion relationship of the individual to the humans around them, to the communities around them, to the broader world around them of living creatures. Who you can and cannot share food with defines your community. It defines family. If you can sit and share a meal with someone, then they are a person you can be in a relationship with. And if you cannot share food with them, for one reason or another, perhaps because of religious food regulations or perhaps because of a personal food practice that you follow, it is very difficult to have a relationship with that person. And we see in terms of religious history the way this works out. Maybe the best example of this is the way in which among American Jews in the last hundred years, there was a decrease in the practice of, of kashrut, of kosher following. And that was very explicitly done because many American Jews wanted to assimilate. And when your neighbor comes over and says, you know, we'd like to invite you to, to our house to eat. And if you keep kosher, you follow the Jewish food laws, you have two choices. You can either say, yes, we're going to do that and we're not going to follow kosher. Or you're going to say, no, we have to decline because of our food laws. So either you assimilate, you form sort of a relationship with those hypothetical neighbors, or you don't. And food is central to that. As you know, we're approaching the time of year in which we're going to be focusing on on both feasting and thinking about gathering and how we come together. When we think about Thanksgiving in particular, do you think of that through a religious lens? Is that a religious holiday from your perspective? 
Yeah, there's no doubt that the American Thanksgiving has its roots in religion and that religion is still present in uh, just beneath the surface in many ways. So I think any of us who are the product of American public schooling probably know the story that the, the myth of Thanksgiving as it's been taught with the pilgrims and such and that 17th century meal. There are historic Thanksgivings that go back to the 17th century to the pilgrims and the Puritans, and they are religious feasts. The Thanksgiving Day was a day that was called uh, usually in response to something really good, which had happened, winning a war, a successful harvest, uh, elections. And it was a way to bring the community together for worship, for prayer, for reflection. And it did usually end in communal uh, or family meals, depending on the time period. And that is the historic root of our Thanksgiving. And then in the 19th century, Abraham Lincoln famously proclaimed sort of this national Thanksgiving in 1863 during the height of the Civil War as a way to thank God for the success the Union Army had achieved in, in, in the war and to pray for, for guidance and the strength to get through the war. And it was explicitly a religious proclamation. Now, today, of course, if you were going to go to a Thanksgiving meal, you may not necessarily find the religion on the surface. But what I find interesting is it is so highly ritualized. Everyone knows what they expect for a Thanksgiving, down to the, the, the food. And while there are some exceptions and room for innovation, by and large, it is so ritualized is the only word I can think of that that it shows the way in which it emerged out of those patterns, which 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 came out of religious tradition. Today, though, it has become something that cuts across traditions. It's not, I don't think, recognized per se as a Christian religious tradition as much as it is seen as a part of our quote unquote civil religion. Can you tell me how did Thanksgiving become a civil holiday? So in the late 19th, early 20th century, as American sort of national identity was coming together through print culture and then in the 20th century through radio and television, there was an effort to craft sort of a civic nationhood through holidays. And Thanksgiving was one of the ways that that happened. Before that, it had been a regional holiday. It had been popular in New England. And particularly in the wake of the Civil War and the disunity that brought, there was an effort by, particularly there were some, uh, some women's magazines that offered sort of shared national recipes people could use, but also the presidential proclamations that, that called it a national holiday. So it was, it was quite explicit during the area of Reconstruction. And then in the early 20th century, it became highly commercialized. So the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is sort of maybe the, the best emblem of that. The way in which Thanksgiving became tied to sort of this national spirit, but also the way in which it became a holiday of consumption. You bought lots of food and you ate lots of food. It inaugurated this entire season of holidays of consumption. And this was very much a Victorian sort of uh, construction of holidays. The same thing happens with Christmas as well around the same time period. I mean, I, I have to confess, when you describe that, I start to think of the era around Mad Men and, and creating yeah. kind of an ethos or an idea with an ad campaign. Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah and, and it was an attempt to craft sort of a national identity and a recognition that everyone eats and you can use feasting as a way to bring people together. I, I think also part of it has to do with this nostalgia. If you think about the stories we tell about Thanksgiving, it's very telling to me that we only narrate the myth of the white immigrants and the Native Americans coming together after Native Americans have been expelled and removed and pushed off literally to reservations. Only when, they're, when, when Native Americans are, are themselves mythic to many other 
Euro-Americans, do we incorporate them into the myth of Thanksgiving? Only when Puritans are safely in the background, no longer burning witches, do they become part of sort of this nostalgic memory. I think it's also very telling that Thanksgiving, with all of its harvest imagery, becomes particularly powerful at the exact same time that most Americans begin living in cities. I think it was the 1900 census, which was the first time that there were more Americans living in urbanized areas than rural areas. It might be the 1910. Uh, But that's right around when Thanksgiving is really taking off. Really telling, right? Sort of this harvest festival when suddenly most of us are living in cities. The way in which this regional holiday that comes out of this, this New England experience becomes nationalized, particularly during a moment of immigration, the great age of immigration from the 1870s through 19-teens, when there were all these fears that these new immigrants were going to overwhelm American culture with their own immigrant experience, and the way in which Thanksgiving is then marketed as a way to become American, and the way in which it really succeeds. So by, by the late 20th century, early 21st century, you have people from a wide variety of backgrounds all eating like how we imagine a bunch of English immigrants from the early 17th <laughs> century were eating at Plymouth Rock in Massachusetts. Can you tell me what was the original Thanksgiving meal and how has it evolved? Well, the original Thanksgiving meal, by that we mean that 1621 Thanksgiving meal uh, in Plymouth among the pilgrims, uh, the Native American community. First of all, there was no written menu, so we can't just say this is what they ate. But from what we can figure out, seafood was actually uh, one of the main courses. That's because, of course, they lived by the seashore, and that was a plentiful food. So eel was very popular, uh, the alewife, the small fish, oysters, uh, depending on the season, uh, lobsters, crab, all of those were central. Waterfowl, so ducks and geese, occasionally turkey as well. We don't think there was necessarily turkey at that first Thanksgiving, but that might have been present. Certainly deer, venison, and corn. Corn was definitely present as well, most likely in sort of a mush form. How is it the Thanksgiving meal became associated with some very specific staples like turkey? Cookbooks. The answer is cookbooks, actually. In the late 19th, early 20th century, there was an effort to uh, to create a national cuisine. Some of this was done very explicitly. Many of the cookbooks that were produced in the late 19th, early 20th century included details about how to create uh, American-style festival meals, including Thanksgiving, and they would have indicated what you should cook. Because Thanksgiving was constructed during an era of fear of immigration and fear of immigrants, and it was this melting pot ideology that immigrants would melt down their identities, this fondue of Americanness, that instead of, of, of the image of Thanksgiving being everyone bring their own traditions, it was, this is the American way to be. But I had a student who told me once in religion and food class, she was a student from, she was Indian from South Asian, and she told me they had Indian food at their Thanksgiving because that's what their family liked. They didn't like stuffing and, and, and turkey and things like that. And my Anglo-American students around the table looked at her with their jaws dropped <laughs> when they heard that their classmate had um, sag paneer for Thanksgiving. One thing that I just want to lift up is, The idea of creating this mythical holiday table happened at the end of the Civil War. How did the African-American community fit into the story of Thanksgiving and into the mythical table of who gets to be an American and what we eat and celebrate? Thanksgiving has a really complicated racial ethnic history because it was originally intended as a celebration of Euro-American immigration uh, and colonization. 
but particularly also because its more recent history was tied so closely to Lincoln and then to Reconstruction. It actually was not a particularly popular holiday during Reconstruction among white Southerners. It was seen as, as imposed. And it actually only became popular really regionally in the South after the end of Reconstruction proper, when, when often it took on very ugly racial connections as well because of that sort of that, that white history to it. Uh, but among African Americans, you really see Thanksgiving taking off in, in the North, particularly after the Great Migration, because Thanksgiving is also tied to the idea of hearth and home and family. It was a way in which African Americans who had moved north during the Great Migration could reconnect to sort of their remembered or imagined foodways from the south. So the way in which then traditional sort of southern African American foods get centered on the Thanksgiving table, not because anyone thought that the pilgrims were eating them, but because this was associated with family and with tradition. But again, it's highly complicated because of sort of the racial ethnic background of the holiday. I, I did have a student once who was of uh, Native American heritage who told me flatly that he didn't celebrate Thanksgiving. And the student didn't want to talk too much about it, but I inferred it's because of the ugly history of Euro-American colonization. So yeah, I think that Thanksgiving is a highly complicated holiday. That was Benjamin Zeller, Associate Professor of Religion at Lake Forest College. He's a co-editor of Religion, Food, and Eating in North America. Coming up after the break, can eating certain foods be considered an act of violence for people following their faith? The answer is, well, yes. You're listening to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. We'll be right back after this short break. Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you. And let's get back to the show. Thank you. 